If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds. And while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The Glass Noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. On episode 58 of Confessions of a Marketer, we're creating stronger marketing with data. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. I've got Chris Clegg of Portma in to chat on creating stronger marketing with data. We'll have that chat in just a moment. Next time, we'll have Eric Smallwood of Apex Marketing Group in to chat about the marketing value of Tiger Woods winning the Masters. And soon, Tisha Miller of iCrossing will be in to talk about the intersection of technology and marketing. Ben Afia will be back here to share his language manifesto. Corinne Conroy will join us to talk about whole-brained marketing. And Josh Martin will be back to dig in a bit more into product marketing. Lots more in store, so stay with us. I want to invite you to have a listen to my other venture, the Innovation Podcast, the iPod, with Garnet Harriman. Lots of fun stuff happening there. Head over to the innovationpodcast.co to tune in. Okay, on to Chris Clegg. Chris is President and Research Director of Portma, which is short for Portland Marketing Analytics. His firm works with some of the world's biggest brands on using data to drive communication strategies and make better marketing decisions. Chris posted on LinkedIn a while back about how to create stronger marketing with data, and that got my attention. So I got him to come on the show to share his ideas with you. It was a fun chat, so let's get to it. Chris, welcome to Confessions of a Marketer. Thanks for having me. Well, we had you on as one of the first guests on my other podcast with Garnett yeah. Harriman, the Innovation Podcast. And when I saw some of the posts of yours on LinkedIn recently, I knew I had to have you on here on Confessions of a Marketer. Oh, that's so good to hear. I've, I've been told I need to be more social, so that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's validating. Well, it's great having you here. Those posts were about data and experiential yeah. marketing, and they yeah. really intrigued me. You said that ad agencies and experiential marketers ask you this question pretty frequently. How do we use the data we collect to generate insights? So what do you tell them? That's a great question. You know, insights are relative. Mm. Uh, this is the first thing to keep in mind is, is, it, is someone will find data to be insightful when it solves a problem for them. And, uh, and, and in business, problems relate to the decisions we have to make as managers. And, and so if, 
if I'm having to make a decision in a void of information, that's going to produce anxiety and that's going to, that's going to be a problem. And if data can provide me information that will help me make a better decision, I will, I will label that data as being insightful. Mm. Um, and so it's very relative. It has to do with who you're talking to. And when you're talking to people that are on the finance side, it has to do with dollars and cents and return on investment. When you're talking to people that are on about logistics and uh, the like, then they're more interested in catering and, and uh, event signups and the like. So it, it really depends on where they're at. And in the middle, you tend to have people that are, that are all about education and, and does, this, does this activity solve the problem that we were, we were set out to solve? And so they care about education, internalization of information. Those things matter more. And once you get that out of the way, then it really becomes a matter of organizing the information that you have into cause and effect buckets. And it's so important to think that way. And it's ultimately the way any data scientist is going to think. They're going to look at, you know, what are the things that exist that define an activity or an occurrence or an event? And then what are the things that define outcomes from that? And let me look to see how do I line those things up causally? How do I know that when I do more of this, more of that is likely to happen? And causality is tricky. Causality is, is a lot of fun, too. It's, it's about it's, it's academics. There are three things that we, we need to have in place to cause two things to be causal. We, we need to have the, the, the cause to happen before the effect. We call it temporal order. Yeah. And so the, the thing that's creating the, the change needs to happen before the change. And, and then we need to make sure that they move in in ways together that are more often than would otherwise be due to chance. And so if, if this happens, then that happens. And that pattern is frequent enough that it's something other than chance. And then the third thing is you've, you've got to be able to have a theory that justifies it. They call it face validity in the textbooks. But you've got to have a reason why it makes sense that this would cause that. There's a, there's a great story in Chicago in the 70s where there was a social scientist that did research on the link between auto theft and ice cream consumption. And, uh, <laughs> and everything led to that being a very clear causal relationship. And the more often that there were auto thefts, the more ice cream that was being eaten. And the trick in there was that there was no logical theory. And the trick in the, the problem that allowed that relationship to happen was that there was these intervening variable. There was something happening in the middle that was allowing those two things to be related. And it had to do with weather. It had to do with heat. And, and when there was more, when it was a hotter day, people were more likely to leave their windows down in their car, which made it more, made it easier for a thar car thief to steal the car. And also people were eating more ice cream on a hot summer day. Um, so it was that intervening variable. And because there was no theory, there was no face validity between the relationship, there needed to be something else that was causing it. And it turned out to be the weather. As data scientists, we call that spuriousness. We call that relationship to be dependent on something else. But those three things are what matters. And when you've got, yeah. you got cause and effect is legitimate and uh, it's your data is organized in, in that context and uh, you're doing that in an area that is relevant for the person you're trying to create insights for, then it all comes together and it works very well. Yeah, a friend of mine loves saying correlation does not imply causation. <laughs> it does not. <laughs> be nice if it did. Just because it's sunny at 3.06 p.m. on uh, a Tuesday doesn't mean that that is causing it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so you say that data can become insight when it helps decision makers create stronger marketing. How can marketers get to that point? And it feels like that point is almost nirvana. 
Well, yeah, it, it is, but it's also it's also the reason marketing works when it works, and yeah. uh, and so my approach has always leaned on the marketing theories of message to market match, and and I think that's so critical. And when I when I work with advertising agencies and 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 marketers who really understand that, I see beautiful marketing come out of it that has amazing performance metrics associated with it. And it always starts with, you know, who are the people that have the values and beliefs, they have the problems, and they have the need that align with whatever the product or service is that's being marketed. Mm. And when you know who those people are, and what the nature of the problem is and where the barrier has been that has kept them from solving that problem before, you can put together messaging for those people that highlights the unique value proposition of the service or product that you're marketing so that they can see how it aligns with their lifestyle, that the people that buy this product are a part of their tribe, that it's the very viable solution for them, and they will therefore act. And, and there's this cycle of purchase that on a most simple level is this idea of need, awareness, trial, and purchase. And people are somewhere in that cycle. And if they're not buying, it's because they're stuck somewhere in there. Yeah. And simply good marketing unsticks them. And so you need to be able to understand who they are and then how to help them work through that process if that's going to be appropriate for them, if that's going to help be relevant for them. And you know, marketing that is solid, marketing that is good is going to be extremely relevant because it's talking to the right kinds of people. And when they're in the early stages of the process, the marketing is going to be very education-based. When they're in the later stages of the purchase process, what they're stuck, the marketing is going to be more behavioral-based, like coupons or, or education around usage scenarios, things that are going to help them get over the behavioral issues. And when that's all in alignment, things flow. And it, it kind of boils down to this example of junk mail. And we all hate junk mail. We hate <laughs> the the physical catalogs that come into our mailbox and, and fill up our recycling bins. But, you know, unless it's that furniture catalog that, that you get in the mail when right about the time you're looking for a new couch, if it's highly relevant, then it's seen as being very valuable. And, and all of marketing is like that. It's about targeting people with a message that aligns with what they care about and, and then offering up a solution in that context. And and when you do that, it works. It works really well. And when you're and when it's not working, it's because you're bleeding somewhere in that process. You're you're yeah. getting to the wrong people too frequently. You're not on message or you're not giving them the information they need to help them move through the purchase cycle. And so it's it's a matter of deconstructing that and using that to understand why certain things work better than others and or design your strategy out of the gate with those types of uh, approaches in mind. I have a much bigger problem with direct mail that I get at home that sits on my front table. You know, it just <laughs> it's just inundates you, right? And yeah. and you you do wonder, you know, I'm in the business and I wonder what is the logic for some of these marketers to send out the volume of material that they send out. It's unreal. Yeah, I I think a lot of it is laziness. I think there, I mean, there there is there may be scenarios where the spray and pray is still relevant. Yeah, but there's so much of at our fingertips to target people with the right kind of information or information that's going to be relevant for them. That it's almost it's almost inexcusable when you get stuff that's so far irrelevant you don't care about it, and it's sad because it wastes a ton of money, and and uh, and really puts a bad spin on what marketing can be all about. Yeah, and you know, I understand 
a car dealer that I bought a car from yeah. three years ago, five years ago, putting me on a tickler list and sending me mail. That makes sure. sense. Sure. Uh, but so much of it just isn't, isn't even relevant. Yeah. Yeah. COVID-19 patients need your help. If you fully recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood. That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T dot org. Help save lives and schedule your appointment at Vitalant.org. You could help save lives. Anyway, I'm on a list somewhere, right? That's and 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 I'm just <laughs> getting, getting I suspect too. more than one list. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me in 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 your writing, uh, you write about two types of brand marketing decision makers. Tell me about those. Oh, that's uh, that's great. That that goes back to what we were saying earlier about who's going to find what insightful and why. And yeah, so. We we do a lot of work in evaluating the performance of experiential marketing and, and the ROI of events. And and what I've found over the years is that on the brand side, there tend to be more often than not two types of people that we're delivering information to. And understanding who which one I'm working with is going to directly impact how valuable the information I provide them is. And you have people that move up through an organization and come into a place of brand management because they've moved up through the media side of the business and they've, they've either been buying media, working with media or creating media. And for them, their life has always been about impressions. It's about how many people did I reach? What was the CPM? Mm -hmm. And what are my gross rating points? And is that hitting my targets for awareness? And so for those people, if I'm not talking about awareness, if I'm not talking about impressions, if I'm not talking about the value of those impressions and the comps associated with them, then I'm missing the boat. And when I focus too much on customer conversion or I focus too much on future purchase intention or behavioral changes, it's seen as important because that's ultimately what the business is about, but it's not relevant for them and how they think about the way they're managing the brands. And then on the other side of the house, I could just as likely be reporting to a stakeholder who has come up through the sales side of the business. Maybe they've worked in the channels. They could have been out through the distribution chain. They may have been directly in sales. But for them, they've landed into a brand marketing role coming through that experience. And for them, if I, if I open up talking to them about the value of impressions or CPMs, that's not how they think. That's not the way the business is for them. For them, the reality of business and success is uh, the movement of SKUs and how many pallets did we sell? Right. How many new people do we have walking onto the lot? What's the traffic in the, in the store? Those kind of things are the things that matter. And so I need to make sure that I've got answers to that as well. And so when we're thinking about the process of collecting data and reporting on that data and, and the analysis that we do on that information, we need to be thinking about those two stakeholders and make sure that we are providing both types of very legitimate perspectives on how you manage a brand, but both types of people are going to be able to get the information they need to understand where this particular type of marketing, in many cases experiential, fits within the marketing mix and fits within the, the larger scheme of things they're working with. And, that, and I find it very valuable to be able to make those distinctions. And in our notes early on, when we have a new relationship with somebody, to kind of get a feel for that and understand where they're coming from, because it helps me understand and, and the team here at Portma understand what they're going to find helpful and actionable. 
because it is relative. It's very relative. Yeah. And one thing, you know, people think that data that's generated, say, from a campaign is the end, right? And yeah. really, it's kind of the beginning because we're inundated with data now. I think back to the early years of working in the web, yeah. you know, 20, 25 years ago, and there was maybe one guy in the marketing group who... <laughs> manage the website, the webmaster, and he'd have a connection to web trends. And, yeah. you know, he'd, yep. he'd be able to show you a report every week. And well, now everybody goes into Google Analytics and yeah. combs through the data. Yeah. But how do we how do we ensure that those mountains of data are being used effectively? Well, I think it's at the end of the day, you need to be honest with yourself and, and ask yourself, what did I do with this information to be smarter or better at my job? Yeah. And if you can't answer that, then it's not effective. And it doesn't matter how good or bad the data is intrinsically or whether it fits with a strategy that, that is smart. If you're not able to personally use it to make better decisions in what you're responsible for, then it's not effective. And so a lot of our work is as much education as it is getting good data and analyzing it correctly. It's helping people understand how do you use this to be smarter, to make more money, to reach the ends and the goals that you've been tasked with reaching. And, and, and that starts oftentimes with doing the mental work and the planning before any data is available. You really want to understand why you're collecting something and what you're going to do with it before you start spending money on collecting it. Because otherwise, you you get into this trap of being stuck with this volume of information and no idea what it's good for. And what often happens is if that process is not done, where you're trying to figure out what are the metrics that matter and why, if that's not done early on, the method that people tend to follow is they just figure, let's collect everything. Let's make sure we have all possible metrics we can imagine. And then when the time comes, I'll look back at it and I'll find out where the meaning is and where the value is. And I'll weed through it all. And oftentimes that's the most expensive, most time consuming and least productive approach to any kind of project that involves data. And so a good team, a good process is going to be one that starts with the end in mind. It starts with thinking through why you're doing this and what you're going to do with it. And, and then puts the process, the dashboard, the data collection, the tasks in order to make sure that you're getting data that you know what you're going to do with right. before you're before you're stuck with it. And one of the things I, I love about following you on LinkedIn and Twitter is that at the beginning of each week and maybe at the end of each week, you kind of say, hey, here's what we're working on. So is there anything really cool that you're working on right now that you'd like to share? Oh, there's so much stuff that I get excited about. So this week, there's a, there's a product that the client is kind of the flagship of the industry. So I won't mention too much about the product. Yeah. But the category, it's a food product. And there's one city in the country that under indexes for this product more than anybody else. People are eating less of this than anywhere else huh. in the country. And, and so they're going in there for six events to try and turn that around. And that's going to be fascinating because it's always fun when you're working from the bottom up yeah. and, and you can start to figure out, you know, why that is. You know, we also recently got engaged with a musical act that is touring the country. They're filling smaller venues and there's a, a company that's coming in as a strong sponsor. And I'm always, I always love researching the halo effect. So how does yeah. fandom cross over into appreciation for what a brand has to offer? And so that's exciting. And that data just started coming in. And it's really interesting because it's the initial results are showing similarities to what we, we see in the industry elsewhere that has had nothing to do with music. And so whether it's a trend for the category or whether it's a 
uh, it's really going to vary by event. We'll see because we've got uh, 24 more concerts to go before we, we start really diving in. So that stuff's exciting. That stuff's really fun. For a long time, we've been using the approach that I've talked about here for about 10 years now. We've done it for quickly approaching 200 brands. And, wow. and we are organizing that data into a benchmarking database that we have leaned on for quite a while. But you know, some of the current theories around AI and data lakes and data warehousing, we're starting to modernize the way we approach that internally. And, and I'm really excited about the insights and trends that are going to be more readily at our fingertips so we can speak to that. Not only continue to do the work that we do in kind of the brand microcosms, but be able to at a higher level and more efficiently bring in insights from across campaigns and across brands and across different types of consumer segments to see how they act in a similar way. So does a millennial family, do they act the same way when when talking about financial items as they do when they talk about ready to serve meals? Are they responding in the same way or how do those categories differ? And right. I think that I, mean, I know that data is sitting at our fingertips, just a matter of making it accessible. And, and we've been in a process for a few months now that I'm excited to bear the fruit from. So it's so there's yeah, there's all kinds of things that are happening. The industry is just getting smarter. The people, marketers are getting yeah. smarter. Marketers are understanding data and how to use it and how to apply technology to be relevant. And so stuff is getting cooler. Marketing is getting more awesome. It's enriching the experiences that we have at a higher level. And it's just exciting to see it and be a part of it. Yeah. And I, that, you know, that experience that you're, you're kind of gathering in your database gets richer with each interaction you have with a client and with each event that you track. And yeah, that must, as you look back on 10 years of this, it must just kind of give you a shiver in a way because it, that's so exciting to build that kind of knowledge base. It it is, and it's I you know one thing we were talking about just the other day is so the, the the database is is hundreds of thousands of records and hundreds of thousands of consumer interviews and and we've been talking about millennials so long they've gotten older and so we're going back to say well what who is the definition of a millennial ten years ago and and then what's that same person like now that same age group like now and are they acting differently and right and so that longevity has allowed us to start to track kind of these variations in consumer demographics that are exciting and for somebody who kind of lives in that that social world of uh of social behavior and and uh and how we engage brands in ways to make our life more fun and exciting it's fascinating to see are things changing or are things the same. Yeah. We're looking to be able to talk more about that. So stay tuned. Yeah. And I, I would imagine, you know, millennials were kind of cast in one way 10, 15 years ago and they're growing up and their, their tastes are changing. So they're not, it's not something that's fixed, right? Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And on the other side, I, th I think about those that are in the 60 plus category, those in the, their 50s and, and the like. And, and are those groups changing? And mm. as we, as we see the generation X grow older and the the greatest generation get more exposed to the world of marketing and technology as it's been more accessible, does are we meeting in the middle somewhere? Are we sticking by our ways? It's 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 always interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. One of the greatest tweeters out there is Carl Reiner, who's mm -hmm. ninety seven. So <laughs> so he's he's cottoned on to uh, social media in a big way. Absolutely. That's great. So are there any trends for the rest of 2019 and beyond that you're tracking? You know, that's a great question. And I am so engrossed in the kind of the day-to-day -day things that happen. It's hard for us to kind of take a big step and, and spot the trends. There's stuff happening with technology and the way events are managed and the way 
that impacts marketing that's mm. that's so intense there's there there are things that i'm because when we when we're when someone buys a ticket to a show they typically are buying two four tickets you know what i mean they're buying they're buying multiple tickets to give to their friends or to have with their family and as a marketer with that sale all i know about is the person that bought the four tickets i don't know about the other three right and just as an example there there was some work that i was listening to and looking at that is using blockchain technology to better understand that transfer of tickets and who the person is that's actually attending the show versus who was the one that made the purchase. And it, and it's it's changing all kinds of things about the way we think about stuff and about what we've how we've leaned on data with lots of known problems with the data, but had to accept that yeah. there was no way to get better information. It was the best thing we could have. And the way that's being solved with technology and with uh, the, the most cutting edge tools, it's, it's fascinating. And so the stuff that we had to work so hard to be good at and to get that predictive power out of that's becoming more accessible and therefore it's being used in a wider array of things. And that's kind of making stuff better. And, and so we go back to that discussion around the junk mail and how it piles up because people are being lazy. Yeah, That's becoming less acceptable because it's easier to do that segmenting. It's easier to diagnose who is going to find what valuable and let me not waste your time or my money to get that wrong anymore. And as all this stuff becomes more accessible and easier and it's going to make things better. Um, and that's... Yeah. We just we sit back and watch that, and we see that in, in lots of little areas all the time, and it's it just seems to keep surprising us and getting getting cooler. Lots of fun stuff happening. Huh? Yeah. Well, let's check back in again, maybe uh, in six months or so, and see what's going on because this is a fast changing area. I really appreciate you joining me, Chris. It was a fun chat. No, absolutely, it's a pleasure. Anytime. Take care. Thanks, Chris, for being here. Next time, the marketing value of Tiger Woods winning the Masters with Eric Smallwood. This episode of Confessions of a Marketer was written, produced, and edited by yours truly. T. Jordan of A-Class Productions wrote the theme music. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Reed Edwards Global Inc., and this episode is copyright 2019. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time. stay home for the greater good. Secondhand smoke doesn't. It drifts through cracks in walls, air vents, and sink drains, spreading toxic chemicals that can damage lungs. Secondhand vape also puts your lungs at risk, even with the fruity smells. Protect yourself and the people around you from these secondhand dangers. Learn how at tobaccofreeca.com.